0: Wow, that was beautiful. And I know it's from the heart. It's beautiful. And it really does connect with what I'm going to talk about this morning. Jesus had to sacrifice his life on Calvary in order to effect potential salvation for all of us. Part of Britain's prayer a minute ago was was the horrendous part of the cross but for the glorious result and that's that's the essence of our series not only did Christ sacrifice something awful to bring about the joy of salvation we too are called upon to sacrifice something that is undesirable to bring about the joy of the life of Christ and that's really what it is we we're trying to put away what we're calling the self-walk. The self-walk is, is that which is what we want, what we desire. But we want to come to the crosswalk kind of life. We want to come to the kind of walk that indeed portrays the life of Jesus all over again in us, every Christian, wherever we go. We're replacing the old with the new. When we were buried with Christ in baptism, Romans chapter 6, the first few verses there, we died not only with Him, but we died to the old way of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, "When, When you're a new creature in Christ, the old has gone. The new has come. And we know that that death just didn't take place one time. We weren't just crucified with Jesus one time and it's all gone. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. The life we live by faith in the son of God continues to be a a continuous putting away of the old, continuing to put to death that which is of the what we're calling the self-walk and to replace it again with the life of Jesus himself. So in this series we've looked at a number of things. What will we be looking at this morning? Let's take our first cue from a Star Wars movie reference. We're not going to watch all the episodes here. I'm just going to recall something. Jabba the Hutt. You remember him? And and he had power. And he had kind of a throne room. And those that he didn't like, or those with whom he disagreed, he had a trap door for them. And they fell into this dungeon where a monster was. Do you remember the name of the monster? Ranker. There he is. He looks like that on purpose. Because that's what Ranker is. He was about 16 feet tall. And of course Luke Skywalker fell down there. And of course Luke can't die. He's the hero. He's going to slay the monster. The monster Ranker. And you know, if rancor is in our lives, we're going to be called upon to slay that monster as well. Rancor may be, and you may not be as familiar with that word as some other words that we're going to look at in just a minute. But rancor is pretty common in our culture. Pretty common in our modern day. We'll look at that in a few minutes. But it is never in a Christian's life. It may be out there. It may be in a lot of things that we read or see or experience even out there. But among the body of Christ, which Sam talked about and prayed for, we're more about the joy of peace than the rancor that is in our world. But you know, a better cue than Star Wars movies is Scripture. Paul the Apostle, when he wrote letters to a number of different churches in Galatia and Ephesus and Colossae, that area of the world. And you could think that it it was pretty common to the rest of the Roman Empire. He wrote a number of different lists of things that we need to put away, put to death, things that we're talking about in this series. So I want to call your attention to a a few parts of some of those lists. In Galatians chapter 5, And verse 19 through 21, Paul says, These are the works of the flesh. And here are some of them that he lists. Hatred. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Factions. And envy. Why do you have to use so many words? When he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4... And verse 31, he continues to tell them some of the same thing. Get rid of. He says that because they need to get rid of. So maybe they're struggling with some of this as well. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice. He continues in that book in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. A little bit different kind of conversation or language there. But he says these are out of place. We need to be people of thanksgiving. Now I added this last part here because I want us to see the seriousness of what Paul is saying about this language along with all the other sins that he mentions in these lists. He says, for of this you can be sure... No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So the word rancor, and he he didn't use the word rancor, but rancor kind of incorporates all of these words that he is using. Is that which can cost us our soul, along with the other things that he mentions. It is that serious then. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. Parts of verses 5 and 8. Put to death, therefore, so they've got the same problem in Colossae that Ephesus may be struggling with. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, I, I don't know that I can parse out the, the actual connotation of each one of those words. I'm, I'm not even sure Paul intended that. To say, well now I'm talking about this with malice. And I'm talking about this with anger. And I'm talking about this with... I think maybe he put the multiplicity of words in there to make a, an effect. And so I've sort of put together a list of what I think he's communicating in these words. And it goes like this. Hatred and hostility. Love of arguing, anger that may be a burst of anger or anger that holds on and holds a grudge, dissension, disunity, division, self centeredness motivated, as anger usually is, canvassing from my point of view, bitterness, resentment, enjoying challenging others to debate, not with the idea of working out something but of putting you down. Abusive speech, all these are related to some intention of hurting somebody else. If you could sum up all those words, that's what I'm calling a rancor this morning. When we read passages like this, I'm talking about the full passages, that we, part of which we didn't include. These are lists that we're familiar with, and we, we probably realize rather quickly that those lists also include considerable numbers of of words about immorality in those societies. And we're pretty familiar with the fact that, that immorality was fairly rampant in that society. The Roman Empire had more than enough of it. But it occurred to me again as I read these lists that not only, apparently, was immorality a problem, but rancor. Anger, bitterness, malice was also a characteristic of that world. I think when when Paul piles up the multiplicity of words here, just like he did about the immorality setting, that he's trying to say, Christians, you need to be on alert here. This is a threat. This is what your culture participates in rather frequently. And it cannot come into our crosswalk. It cannot come into the body of Christ. It cannot invade us. I suppose in that day and time, a Roman citizen could have some protection from these outbursts and hurts of other people. But for the most part, the countries that had been conquered by the Roman Empire, people who weren't citizens, were kind of at the mercy of a lot of other people. And I'm sure that they experienced a lot of rancor. Paul did, didn't he? He went into cities and they weren't always receptive to listening to his message, were they? Sometimes there were riots. Sometimes there were beatings. Sometimes there were running him out of town. Sometimes there was a lot of yelling and screaming and maybe cursing. A lot of yelling to stop him from telling what his position was on the resurrection of Jesus that they didn't want to hear. There was little respect in a lot of places for someone who wanted to explore this, which they thought was truth and would be beneficial. Don't want to hear it. We're going to yell you down. So what do I want to zero in on today? I want to talk about specifically about degrading, bombastic, demeaning, hurtful speech toward one another. That's the rancor that we're zeroing in on and I think Paul's calling attention to. Maybe that's the way the world does it, and I'm not very confident that that's going to change. That is not the way we do it. That is not the way Christians behave. It is, I'm sure, open to your understanding that there has been an uptick in recent years in our culture of this kind of behavior. And I don't want us to spend a lot of time on that, but just a few examples to remind you. And you've got your own, I'm sure. I saw an ad just the other day. It was a TV commercial. And they were advertising again, maybe you've seen the ad, about neighborhood wars. It's about people that can't get along. People who say things to each other, maybe do damaging things to each other's property. Oh, but there are two new series there. That's so popular that they're going to do customer wars. And they're going to do road wars. As if there is an appetite for that kind of thing. Surely you've seen plenty of political ads and maybe debates between candidates over the last few weeks and months. And we used to call that mudslinging, a lot of what I heard and saw. But today I'm gonna to call it rancor. Sometimes there were, there were words used, counterpeg words, inflammatory words about the other person, words like radical, extremist, dangerous, evil a lot of them vilified the character of the other person as if that person's not even a worthy person. Certainly, he doesn't belong or she doesn't belong here. Sometimes, even when we see in our society supposedly public, peaceful protests where different points of view come alongside of each other But it rarely is a public forum for discussion of difference of views, is it? A lot of times it turns into a yelling match, sometimes violent. But somebody wants to yell you down. Someone someone wants to yell loud enough, maybe pushing, yelling, maybe even cursing, to make you shut up. So that my view, whether it's right or not, whether it's it's, uh, acceptable or not, It prevails that seems to be the bottom line I don't have to tell you because it's been reported many times about what takes place on the internet from time to time person to person some don't seem to care that demeaning hurtful humiliating bullying words have even led to deaths I, I don't know about you That makes me sick. I borrowed this slide from Monty's sermon a couple of weeks ago. We don't want to look at it very long, do we? That's not very appetizing. And I don't want us to simply, I have not called us together to wallow in the pit of rancor in our society. I think we know that. And we've thought enough about that. We just know that there has to be a contrast. We just know that we Christians have to communicate differently with each other of course and with anybody else in our culture regardless of how they communicate with us so enough of the self-walk let's talk about the crosswalk let's talk about the crosswalk about the joy of the peace from the rage or rancor of our society scripture will tell us how we are to behave scripture will tell us some of the ones that we've looked at already but in those contexts, but maybe some other texts will tell us exactly, well, what is the antidote? What are the principles of the kind of language that we should use with one another that brings about peace? And before I give you five specifics, I want to start with Romans chapter 12, verse 18, which Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the initiative is ours. We're not looking for somebody else to start the initiative. Well, I'll be peaceful, I'll be, I'll be civil if, if they are. That might not happen. So what am I going to do? What is the kind of language that I will choose to build strong relationships, which are so precious? The first comes from a familiar passage in the Old Testament. And it has to do with soft language a soft answer a gentle answer a sweet answer turns away wrath but grievous words stir up anger i think we know that when people get together and they're differing with opinions sometimes the volume is ratcheted up on both sides until it reaches a pitch that of course neither can be heard and all objectivity has flown out the window That's not what we want. We're not trying to stop the difference being stated. Maybe there's something there that we need to consider. I think we know for the most part, not always. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, let soft language try to tone down the ire of the other person. That's the way things keep from, falling out, from flaming out of control. And damage done that is hard to repair. So of course, before I speak, surely I need to listen well. Surely I need to pray. Even when I'm caught off guard, and oftentimes that's the case, I still need to have this as my default setting to speak to others. Jesus said we need to be peacemakers not flamethrowers we're not to throw gasoline on a fire we are to be peacemakers and, and there are a couple of reasons why that's so precious in all of these, these things that I'm going to share with you it is that our relationships are precious Christian relationships are precious relationships of all kinds of, but especially the body of Christ we're going to spend eternity together And secondly, we're on a mission together. We have a reason to exist, to glorify our Father in heaven and to be partners with Him in letting the world know about a a message that can save. A message that can change us into the likeness of Jesus. So if we're bickering with one another, that becomes impossible. And of course the world sees that and says, no thanks. Division Shuts all of that good stuff down, doesn't it? So first, self-control. To be a peacemaker with soft, quiet language. You know, we might tend to trivialize our language. We might tend to trivialize it by saying, Well, you know, nothing wrong with a burst of anger every now and then. Is that so bad? Or that's just the way we, my spouse and I talk to each other. Well, I, I did have to put that employee at work in his place. But hey, no big deal. Didn't, no harm done. Yes, harm done. So soft language. But secondly, what I'm calling extra mile language. Listen to the text from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience there's the heart now this is the act that comes out of that bear with one another and forgive one another there are two things i want to zero in on this point. point first of all i want to think about myself do i know myself well enough to know what triggers the passion the anger the ire in me personally What things set me off? What things are the buttons that somebody can push? And I might go ballistic. So I have to be be careful about that. And I have to know that when I'm talking to somebody else. Especially somebody that maybe I've had a little difficulty getting along with. But but there's another thing. And, And this is what the bear one another is really about, I think. Where is this person coming from when they're saying these things? If I'm just becoming defensive, I'm not thinking about what's going on inside of them. Is there there something deep down that's hurting them so much that they would take it out on me? Maybe because I caused it. Maybe not. Doesn't really matter. But is there some hurt going on there? Is there something that I need to help them with? Even if it's against me, can I help them with that? That's the idea of bearing with them. Self-walk says, go ahead and give it back to them. Cross-walk says, bear with them. Listening with an open ear and a kind heart, which controls my emotions and my response and gives them space and time To settle down and maybe come around. De-escalate the tension by listening. Not just talking. Especially listening for the hurt. And the disappointment or something that's there. See it from their point of view. Even though it may ultimately be wrong or you may disagree with it. And if they make mistakes. Which sounds like they are. When they're coming our direction that way. Can we grant them forgiveness? Can we grant them another chance? Because once again, our relationships are precious. And the joy of peace is wonderful for us to have and for them to have as well. The third kind of language comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 and Colossians 3, verse 8. It's about truth language. Put away falsehood and speak the truth. For we are members one of another. Speak the truth. Make sure every word is truth. I don't have to tell you that truth has taken a beating in our culture. Certainly during some of our lifetimes. Maybe even in recent years too. Truth is not held up as a high virtue seemingly anymore. But we will. That's our language. You know, when we, when we slip to things like gossip and slander and lies, that's the self-walk. We usually do that because we've got to slip to that to win our point of view. We've got to win the argument. And it doesn't really matter that we're going to get the truth. That's not the point. That's not the end in view is, is that I win. That's, that's the end in view if we're not careful. crosswalk believes in the principles of truth you know john eight you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free jesus is talking about salvation there primarily i think absolutely forgiveness of sins but there's a principle in, embedded in that that's true across the board is it not truth does free us it frees us from ignorance it frees us from making mistakes based on bad premises that we might have. It frees us from defensiveness when we're talking to somebody else. We don't have to prop up something with arguments that aren't true anymore. You know, oftentimes one untruth leads to another, doesn't it? And we get caught. And we, and we pile it on. Truth frees us from all that. And truth allows us to get to the truth, hopefully, if we can have a civil discussion. So no matter what they do, we're going to stick with truth, Christians, aren't we? Number four, and it's connected to that, isn't it? Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15. We would want to do that when we're sharing the gospel with people. We would also want to do that when we're talking about anything else, would we not? You see, truth sometimes can be put in the form of not so much love. Sometimes the truth can hurt when we mean it to hurt, not when it's not supposed to hurt. Of course, when we think of love, we think of 1 Corinthians 13. Let me remind you love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious does not boast it's not proud it's not rude it's not self-seeking in motive it is not easily angered love has no rancor in it crosswalk calls for a language that benefits the other person i mean what is the word agape in meaning is it not Is it not, I'm going to do for you what is best for you? If our language language is rancor, it's about what I can get out of it and how I can win. It's all about me. But agape language is very different. It wants to know what is best for you. How can I help you? So yes, truth sets us free from errors that come with lies. But truth combined with love covers a multitude of sins, promotes peace, and results in joy for sure. But then there's one more. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 and Colossians 4 verse 6. It's gift language. It's building the other person up. It's not using corrupting talk that tears others down. It builds others up that it may give grace. What is grace? It's a gift. That's what grace is. It is God's gift to us, but we are called upon to give grace to others in a number of contexts in different ways. Listen to Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer Everyone. To build them up. That's the love theme again coming through. Wouldn't it be incredible if everything that comes out of our mouth is a gift to the recipient? I prayed that this lesson would be a gift to you. I prayed that your hearts would receive it as a gift to you. What a beautiful thought to think that everything that comes out of our mouth in whether it's mundane conversation or whether it's about important matters that we need to discuss, some of which we might disagree on, is a gift. It's not intended to hurt. It won't hurt in the long run. It tastes good to them. Every word wisely chosen is a sweet, sweet present. Listen to Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly Like the thrusts of a sword. But the tongue of the wise. Brings healing. That's a gift. Healing. Let's make every word that comes out of our mouth. A gift. A grace. A blessing to others. Rebecca's doing our signing over here. And this is is the way you'd spell be kind with just the letters. But. There's a sign for be kind, isn't there, Rebecca? Can you show us? Can you turn toward me and show me that? So can we do that? Can you do that? More so in life than just, thank you. The self-walk monster of rancor brings nothing but hard feelings, broken lives, and destroyed relationships. But the sweet language of crosswalk brings the joy of peace to me because I won't live with all those bad things that come out of that myself and certainly brings joy to other people in my relationship it honors it builds up those relationships so the invitation today is for us Christians have we allowed You'll have to ask yourself. Have we allowed the rancor of our culture to become a part of our Christian life? Has it destroyed relationships? Has it dampened spirits? Has it pushed people away? Or does it draw them in? The kind of language we use. Has it darkened your soul with such bad feelings toward others? Is it not time this morning to sacrifice the monster of rancor for the joy of peace. If we can help you with that, please come while we stand and sing.